0: Well, good morning Greenwich and welcome to the Friday, November 3rd edition of the Basement Academy. Before we dive into our morning study, of course wanna lead with our morning psalm. Psalm three, um, read in the context of the war in Israel, I think speaks with some fresh power and insight. So let us pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the peace everywhere. But the words of Psalm 3, listen to these. Mm. O Lord, how many are my foes. How many rise up against me. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Lord, hear our prayer for those who are surrounded Think of those hostages uh, who are probably held in Hamas tunnels, right? Lord our prayers. We're looking at the book of Revelation as a set of famous last words. The way Eugene Peterson frames his book, each chapter is the last word on, and the first set of reflections is the last word on Scripture. These are the last words we have in our Bible. These are the last words of scripture that are written. And so yesterday we, we considered a, a number of items, but, but what I didn't talk about was what do we do with all of the references to various numbers in the book of Revelation and all of these magnificent visions, dragons and beasts and armies and all of this stuff. suggested that this is a theological poem. And as such, poetry uses words to engage the senses, to to, to draw us in. And so there are allusions to other scriptures, other stories. The numbers, because we run into... Uh, an enormous set of numbers, numerology is its own little study. The way poetry works is a number or a vision or a phrase, a verbal phrase, or or a a word that has a, a picture with it will suggest meaning. It will engage the imagination. And so what Peterson suggests is this book is written to engage our praying imagination. It's a pastoral prayer, a theological prayer, a theological poem, a pastoral poem. It's it's all of this uh, together. And so we will encounter a series of sevens, seven spirits, or the sevenfold spirit of God, seven churches, seven lampstands, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven angels. Well, seven is suggestive of the seven days of creation, right? Seven is that perfect number. God creates a good world, a whole world. Uh, we encounter two witnesses, three beasts or a dragon, four horseman, the number 666, which is, when we get to that in several weeks, we'll see is an unholy trinity. Six being the number representative of man. Man was made on the sixth day. The seventh is the Sabbath. God rested the wholeness, the completion. So seven is the the holy number, six is an unholy number. Six, six, six suggests an unholy trinity. We'll, we'll see all that. Um, uh, we have 12 tribes. We've got 24 thrones, which is suggestive of two sets of 12, which we will have 12 thrones representing the Old Covenant tribes, 12 thrones representing the 12 apostles of the New Covenant um, we have a thousand years. Um, we'll have a reference to a hundred and forty-four thousand that are saved, the redeemed community. Twelve times twelve times a thousand, and so. Anyway, there's a whole set of numbers that come at us in the Book of Revelation. Do we understand them literally? Do we understand them figuratively? And so we will tease that out over time as we encounter them, the various numbers, but I think the idea is they are poetically presented to us and numbers are suggestive, they're metaphoric, they're figurative, they're symbolic. They're trying to engage our thinking and to, to, to tell a story beyond just the number itself. And then kind of the same way with the vision. Some of the visions are just so grand. You know, you have beasts that are standing with one foot in the ocean and one foot on the land. And so there's, you know, the enormity, it's kind of like those Godzilla movies, right? And so the way you draw people's attention is by gesturing appropriately so if I'm in a very small room like I'm speaking you know I'm just a couple feet from the camera my hands can move like this and I can make some point but if I'm on a desert island and I see a a plane flying over I've got my hands waving in the largest possible way I'm trying to draw attention I believe John The Holy Spirit, inspiring John, trying to draw our attention. He writes in the 90s AD. The Christian church has been going at it for a while. They're experiencing persecution. There's maybe some folks who are thinking this faith maybe isn't all it was cracked up to be. This this Christian life isn't making me happier. It's becoming harder for me to live. Uh, People may have dulled in their routines of worship and and, and prayer. And and so this is a wake-up call. So these images are so large and so grand, uh, sometimes so frightening and terrifying. Uh, A dragon trying to swallow the child of a woman that is just trying to bring forth her child into the world and this dragon is trying to eat this child. And what's going on here? And so the visions are intended to awaken us, to startle us, to stimulate us. And that's what we need, which I think leads me into uh, what I wanted to reflect on for the bulk of our our time this morning. Um, I'm going to arrange each of my reflections into a series of three, some poetic reflections, reflecting on the words of the chapter that we're reading in, in in Revelation. So John writes as a poet, so there's poetic considerations, numbers, visions, etc. There will be theological considerations. John writes as a theologian. He's trying to draw our attention to God. And then there are pastoral considerations. How does this stuff work in our lives today? I'll try to bridge from the book of Revelation to our own world and draw on some of Eugene Peterson's reflections. So, so having completed a few poetic considerations yesterday and today, let me offer just a couple theological considerations. Something to think about, okay? John writes this letter, and the priority of this letter is to draw our attention to God. This is what theology is really about. Theology is the study of God. Theos, God, ology would be the study. Most people hear the word theology and go, oh, okay, you know, $5 words and random concepts, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, whatever. No, theology is consumed with God. And so John writes the Revelation as one who is intoxicated with God. The the language early on uh, in the first few verses, the one who was and is and is to come, this is suggestive, this allusion to the Old Testament. As Moses encounters God at the burning bush, who shall I say is sending me, is calling me? I am who I am. God is the one who has existence. the One who was, and is, and and will ever be, or is to come. God is outside of time. The Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letters of the, of the Hebrew alphabet. And then he goes on and says, the beginning and the end. And so God is the one who encompasses life. There's nothing outside of God. And so John is, is committed to and concerned with presenting to us God in this letter. And he is committed to the priority of God's word in this letter. John wants us to know that these are, yeah, he he might've been doing the writing, but it was God who did the showing, right? God who did the telling, show and tell, and John did the writing. And so John, I stand with John. I stand with the Bible. God's Word is the priority. the priority of God's Word in all things. And so God is a God who speaks. He made us in His image to speak, as I am doing now. You're listening. I'm speaking. And so meaning is being transported and transmitted from my mind and heart to your mind and heart. And, and so this gift of language and communication. God is a God who speaks and John emphasizes that. And so we affirm the priority of God's word, the infallibility of God's word, the inerrancy of God's word, the power of God's word, the authority of God's word. And we do that in a world that does not affirm these realities. This is what sets us apart. We affirm something about the words of Scripture that others do not. And so, Scripture, this is a theological reflection, Scripture is God's word to us. Not just human words about God. There is that that tendency that tendency to want to just say, oh, these are nice words uh, written uh, about God, and this is not the case. Um, Let me read from Peterson, page uh, 18, in this version of it. It is tragically ironic that the very book in the Bible that says this most emphatically about Scripture being God's Word which underlines and puts exclamation points around it has been treated by so many as a crossword puzzle. What Peterson's laboring at this portion of his chapter don't come to the book of Revelation as something other than Scripture, other than God's authoritative word being spoken. And the tenant, well, people say, well, yeah, yeah, that's what I want because I'm trying to figure out When the end is going to come and when the beast is going to rise and who the beast is and, you know, the crossword puzzle, trying to decipher the code. No. Treat the book of Revelation like we treat the other 65 books. God's authoritative word, shaping a good creation, shaping covenant, shaping uh, an accountable life, the reality of sin in our lives and we're accountable to God, shaping redemption, shaping proper responses to God, revealing the identity and character of God. This is what Scripture is about. Scripture's not some hide-and-seek game, and we're reading this like, a, you know, a crossword puzzle or, um, you know, the, the, those little word searches, you know, they, they've got them backwards and going diagonally. People love those, you know, kids love those games, and sometimes senior adults do too. This is not Scripture. Scripture is speaking authoritatively, clearly about creation, covenant, salvation, the life of response to God's salvation, um, revealing who the Christ is. Jesus is the Christ. The Holy Spirit is the present companion and comforter that is given to the, the to the believing community. And so Peterson goes on, if the revelation is masterful in getting us involved in a living response to Scripture, and again, this is the engagement, the poetic engagement, it is also unavoidable in its claim that Scripture is God's Word to us, not human words about God. Reading Scripture as if it were the writings of various persons throughout history, giving their ideas or experiences of God is perhaps the commonest mistake that is made in reading Scripture, and it is the deadliest mistake. And this is how much of the world treats the Bible as literature. Set alongside, you know, Homer's Odyssey and Shakespeare and its great literature that has shaped many aspects of our civilization, but it is not a binding word from an eternal God who made heaven and earth to whom I must give an account. The world does not think of the scripture in in such a manner. And so that's a deadly mistake because we can then dismiss scripture. Oh, yes, that's just poetic license. That's, yeah, that's the author. Yeah, making some bombastic claims, you know as if Jesus was somehow a Messiah that we have to pay pay attention to. And so the idea is that we insist, I insist, Peterson insists, I hope you will insist and believe, Scripture is God's Word. And the purpose of Scripture, the purpose of Scripture is not just to tell some history, tell us some inspiring moral stories like Aesop's fables, right? The scripture is given as personal address to reveal a living God who is outside of time, outside of space, outside of the world that he has made. Yet the God who has made us in his own image and called each of us into this life on purpose. The purpose of scripture is to help us understand the purpose for our lives. Revealing the character, the nature, the work of God in this world, the ways of God in this world. Who is God? How does God work? And so if you want to communicate to your children and help to shape them into a life, you speak to them. You instruct them, you guide them, you correct them. If you were to collect all the words you've spoken to your children, these are the words you're giving. And so God speaks to his creation to shape us and that that we might um, know him and participate in the life that he intends for us. And so the scripture clearly tells us of a God who loves and enters this world in the person of Jesus Christ in, in, in a certain place, in a certain time, Jesus born of the Virgin, uh, born in Bethlehem. There, there's, there's a geography. We can map these places, right? Israel, so it's entering Israel's, you know, so in the news. And so the purpose of Scripture is to engage us, to call us to life, to help us understand who we are and whose we are and to live a life in conformity to God's plan and purpose. The purpose of John's revelation then serves that same end. It mostly serves as a recapitulation of the whole story. Again, as I suggested earlier in the week, not saying anything new, he's Retelling the old story that we know so well. And so, uh, Peterson, uh, this is page 24. The intent of the revelation, that is John's revelation here, is to put us on our knees before God in worship and to set the salvation-shaping words of God in motion in our lives. We are always trying to use Scripture for our purposes. Scripture uses us. God's gracious purpose in giving us His Word in written form is not to turn us into Bible students but to provide a means by which we can hear Him speak and be turned into Christians awed worshipers, sacrificing sufferers, devout followers. God's word, the, the revelation itself, is to draw us into worship. It's not that we're to turn into Sherlock Holmes's and, and go on a mystery, done whodunit. You know, what are all the mysteries involved in the book of Revelation? When and where and who? No, 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 no. It's to draw us to worship. And it's to help us understand that we, like John and others suffering in the first century, we ourselves are called to a life of carrying our own cross, a, a tool of torture, an instrument of suffering. And we must bear suffering as well. But we must follow this Jesus. John, who was on the island of Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Jesus. He's being persecuted for his faith. And so revelation helps us prepare for such as it may come in our own lives. And so the revelation, the purpose of the revelation is not that we turn into Sherlock Holmes, but that we turn into followers of Jesus in our time, in our culture, in our settings, in our neighborhoods. And then one last little reflection from Peterson long and pious association with scripture can blunt its sharp edges the long and pious association is when you've been reading the bible studying the bible as some of us have for decades we sometimes can lose the sharp edges long and pious association with scripture can blunt its sharp edges Familiarity with Scripture can dull our perception of its uniqueness. If that should happen, the revelation pulls us out of our complacent doze and puts us on our feet, erect before the reality of all Scripture, a strange new world, a world of God. There are no transitions, intermixings, or intermediate stages, there is only crisis, finality and new insight. And so the revelation wakes us up to the reality of something that stretches back to the garden. Chapter three of Genesis, I talk about it all the time. The serpent who comes in, the ancient serpent who has rebelled against God, and he seduces the woman and the man, and they fall for his, his, his uh, s- seduction and his lies. And he plunged the world into chaos and the human family's now in rebellion against God. And so Revelation retells this story because we've become so familiar, oh yeah, 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 we live in a fallen world. Yeah, 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 we're, I, I'm, I'm human, I'm imperfect. Okay, let's just get on with the rest of our day, no. Every day we're living in a spiritual battle. Every day our hearts and minds are, are, are being tempted away from God and God's purposes. Every day, uh, the the, the ancient serpent, the dragon, the devil, the beast, is doing war against God's people and against God. And so the Revelation pulls us back to the stories like, oh yeah, we read that. So anyway, some theological considerations about Scripture. And we just read what the first 10, 11 verses of, of the Revelation, Okay. So uh, we're going to take a pause for the weekend. Hopefully you'll have gotten your book in the mail or picked it up uh, in a store. You can read the first couple chapters. I'm going to offer some pastoral considerations on Monday and then we'll dive in. So read up through chapter two of Peterson and uh, chapter one of the Revelation, okay? Let's pray. Father, be pleased to continue revealing your word to us, yourself to us, the meaning of our lives, the, 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 the reality of your character and your glory and your majesty. Reveal to us the Christ in fresh ways. Use the Spirit given to us to open our minds, our ears, our hearts to these wonderful, majestic words in, in the Revelation and help us to live faithfully as the followers of Jesus in whose name we pray and who taught us to pray together saying, Through his word, through his creation, through the whispering voice of the Spirit given you, may God speak to you so that you fall deeper in love with him and that you are more conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus. May he do that this day and forevermore. Amen.